He said he pawned it. Guess that makes him a liar now, don't it? L. B. Something I've always been curious about. Just between us girls. What did you say to Pi May to make him snatch out your eye? I called him a miserable old fool. Bad idea. Know what I did? I killed that miserable old fool. How do you like the fish head? Miserable old fool. I poisoned his fish heads. <laughs> and I told him, to me, the word of an old fool like you is worth less than nothing. <laughs> okay, so you've probably seen a trend by now that every scene that I put at the front of this episode of well, this recording. It's probably my favorite scene. Oh, is that it? <laughs> oh, I, I did not know that was the trend. I was like, I was start, I think I was starting a trend here. I don't know. Like, um, I didn't. It wasn't the plan in the beginning. Mm. But you know, the last few episodes that we're doing on the Legacy series for Quentin Tarantino, at the beginning of the recording, I put in a scene that just so happened to be my favorite. Yeah, all right. The entire film. Yeah. That's a good scene. It's a good scene. And I only, I only noticed that it was my favorite until I put it into this particular review i was like oh yeah this is probably my favorite scene in the wait movie. so jackie brown you did the car with uh De Niro scene, scene. Yeah. okay that's a good scene that's probably yeah. the best scene in the in the in the film weirdly enough kill bill probably. what'd you do yeah kill bill i think it was uh vivica a fox oh, yeah which was definitely the best yeah scene. okay yeah. yeah that checks out yeah checks out man um so yeah that's uh that is also an indication that I enjoyed this one much more than Volume One. That doesn't no, that doesn't make sense because you choose your favorite. Favorites always are relative to the to the film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, this was thoroughly more enjoyable. That's true, but I'm just saying the fact that you chose a scene doesn't imply that you like this more. <laughs> I can increase the volume of that one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited to get into this. So uh, let's roll the intro. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Legacy Series, Quentin Tarantino. We are giving you the review and recap of every single film Quentin Tarantino has directed and mostly written. Um, we are up to Kill Bill Volume 2. If you haven't heard or maybe even seen some snippets of Kill Bill Volume 1, our review and recap of Volume 1, it's the previous episode, episode 65, and we are now on to episode 66, Kill Bill Volume 2 written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, also co-written by Uma, Th- Uma Thurman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. get that right at this time. What do you think? Uma Thurman? Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uma Thurman. Um, so uh, before I actually get into some details of the film, 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much coming off fresh, fresh off the heels of uh, volume one. It's, it's almost like one big review and recap volume one and two. I, I just want to throw it right to you straight away. What did you think of volume two? Yeah, man, I liked two and in, in a weird way, like it's kind of funny. So when you, when we first started talking about this movie, right. Um, you were saying that, um, people say that one and two, uh, they're not two movies. They're one movie that's just like sort of cut in the middle. And you kind of hinted that it was kind of a bad thing. Like it's kind of mid conversation. Um, I didn't get that sense in Kill Bill Volume 1. I thought that like the movie ended at the right point. But having seen Volume 2, um, I feel like that statement makes sense now. Because it's like all the action sequences are in Volume 1 and all of the exposition and plot is in Number 2. And when you see Number 2, it makes one better, in my opinion. And I... That's, I actually had a more of an appreciation of one after having seen two. And, like, maybe two could be, like, a little bit too much exposition. Um, it would have been great if they just sort of took parts of two, put it in one, and did vice versa. You know what I mean? Like, just sort of evened it out a lot more. But overall, I really like this film, and I like the fact that it actually made me appreciate the first one more. You know what? Um, watching just, like, the first 20, maybe 30 minutes, I'll, I'll say first 20 minutes, I was, like, thinking, man... They could have just done this movie. Who cares about Volume 1? Like, Volume 1 was... It's, like, super forgettable, in my opinion. But, like, I, I would agree with you, and in, in, uh, I kind of um, appeal to a little bit of that sentiment about Volume 1 being a better movie. I think you appreciate that a little bit more after seeing Volume 2. But, it, like, Volume 2, I, I feel like you could just watch alone and... Would it make a difference? Almost, I think, with without seeing Volume One. Volume Two was entertaining. I think the the action and the choreography was way more entertaining than any other ones. Maybe with the exception of the Vivica A. Fox one, because because like the only real action we get in this is probably the scene that I just played at the beginning of this review. You know, that's probably the only real action we get. Some cool action. You know, we're talking about kung fu scenes, right? Classic kung fu is it? scenes uh, playing homage to i feel like uh, volume two has way more um homages and respect to the old kung fu movies of the past um especially when she meets uh pay pay way or you think pai mei? Pai mei? Pai mei? Pai mei? I, I i don't know if i agree with that because i feel like and like I, i've talked about this with with like a friend of mine who knows this way better than i do but um I feel like number two, you have that training sequence, which is like, you know, classic Kung Fu, you know, training sequence. Yeah. But the film is more of a standard Quentin Tarantino. Like there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of conversation. There's not that much action really. Mm. Um, like if you have Kill Bill 2 by itself, I would struggle to say that it's much of an homage. Like Kill Bill 1 is really the homage to those like 1970s, like sort of, samurai films right and mm. i feel like kill bill 2 sort of takes that and then just adds a whole layer of plot around it to make it work but yeah. if you didn't have kill bill 1 i wouldn't be comfortable calling it like an homage to to classic samurai or classic martial art films because mm. it, it kind of uh. isn't in my opinion like, there's a couple of standard fight scenes but it's really plot driven mm. yeah the the fight scene between her and al um, with all the close-ups, the sound effects, the um, 
the the corny kind of punches and kicks. These are all the homage sequences that I was talking about with uh, homage to. Yeah, Kill but Piercing that's just Super. like a single fight scene, right? Like, do you do you consider a film an homage yeah. to a genre if it's got one fight scene? Like, <laughs> well, because it's probably like the it's one of the very few highlights of the whole Kill Bill saga. You know, yeah, um, it is a shame that, like, again, visually, like, that's a fun fight. There's actually a lot of, not a lot. Let me think. How many fight scenes are there? Because I remember thinking, wow, they're, they're better. It's only this one. I mean, there's the yeah, I mean, yeah, which is like that classic apprentice vis- uh, meets the and it's got a whole lot of master sequence, a lot of wire work, and again, like, it, it's mm. very sort of classic in the way it does it does things. But mm. I think like one had all of the action. Which doesn't say it's better, just action is action. Yeah, and, and two had, had much less of it. But it seemed, like, visually better. Like, I, I'm surprised. I think these two films were, like, recorded right after each other, or maybe same time, if I had to guess. But I, I'd imagine so, because these were released pretty much less than a year within each... Uh, yeah, we're, we're less than a year side-by-side uh, side yeah. each other. And, like, the action yeah. is surprisingly, significantly, like, again, in my opinion at least, uh, visually more engaging in two. It's just more entertaining. I mean, I think the whole film is way more constructed in a way that is more entertaining. Like, it's the the this thought kind of came to mind when I was watching Volume Two. I was like, man, if maybe like Volume Two feels more like a Tarantino movie, it does. And Volume One feels like a fanboy at university trying to be Tarantino. I, like, I don't know if he's trying to be Tarantino. <laughs> See, I because Tarantino's never done what Kill Bill One was. I I feel like. Um, number one is kind of like a fanboy who has, and this is something, again, my friend was speaking to me about, like Tarantino, sort of his entire kind of career in a way is like, I have seen this genre of film and I want to try and do that. Like they, they say Jackie Brown is like a black exploitation film. I haven't seen a lot of them, unfortunately, but I've seen Shaft. And yeah, I think I can sort of see the fact that like Quentin Tarantino, um, has said this is my take on a on a black exploitation film, and I feel like Kill Bill One was very much like a this is my take on like a nineteen seventies samurai slash martial arts film, mm. whereas this one is much more classic Quentin Tarantino, and I think it just tries to again put that layer of storyline over what happened in one and also in this film as well. Yeah, yeah. The the story the exposition is for some reason just feels like better. I feel like I can connect with it much more than Volume One. Volume oh, One I had was no storyline, like barely any. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there was a story in Volume One. It just wasn't very interesting. Oh, uh, Volume Two, right, though, like the storyline was pretty much. Uh, I got attacked by Bill. I don't know why. I never see Bill. Don't know who he is. I'm attacking these two people, um, and I learn to walk again. Like that, like Vivica Ray Fox, right? Like her dialogue is, it it's 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 fun, but like you don't learn a lot, and I think that's intentional. Mm. Um, but if I had to wait a year between these two films, I would have been pretty disappointed by Kill Bill One. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have been in a rush to see Volume Two. Mm. I would have been perfectly <laughs> so surprised. It's, it's it's kind of it's kind of nice that we're doing Volume One and Two back to back because we didn't have to wait exactly, long yeah. at all. We, I was kind of like, all right, let's just finish volume one, you know, uh, finish, you know, come up with the credits, please. It's it's getting excruciating. And then jumping into volume two, I was, I mean, I was still kind of, you know, you were excited, <laughs> dragging right? my heels. I was dragging my heels to see this. So I was yeah. like, oh man, really? Like, do I have to watch another 
two hours or whatever of this type of stuff. But then, like, from the beginning, just from the get-go, I was I was in it, man. Like, you know, with the black and white sequences right at the beginning, um, the way the dialogue was... Um, the way the dialogue was put together, I just feel like this was Tarantino finding his stride in this new type of genre that he was exploring. Yeah. Um, volume one, he was maybe, you know, like white belt or something, you know, white belt going into brown belt or whatever. And then I feel like, oh, white volume belt. Two, I said white belt. White belt. <laughs> white belt. Well, yeah, the grading system. I'm trying to go with the whole theme here. Um, and then I feel like in uh, volume two, he's, 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 slowly mastered it you know and gained his i don't know two stripes or whatever it is um it's sort of a weird thing like my opinion i think differs from yours a little bit like i think one is clearly like i am trying to mimic these classic films for better or for worse mm -hmm. like i'm taking a lot of their like the things that are in those films and i am and i'm placing them on the screen whereas number two Mm -hmm. is a lot more classic Tarantinoism, like he seems to have gone back a little bit to what he's more comfortable with in in this film and yeah. i guess that explains why we like it more because you know those films mm. from the 60s and 70s like they're kind of that way for a reason um mm. one thing that i kind of noticed in in this film was that like like the dialogue as you mentioned like it's, it's pretty campy like it's kind of fun and i think yeah. I, i've never seen princess bride but i imagine it's going to be similar to that in a way right is that, is that mm. at all accurate yeah kind of um and princess bride has this kind of cross between uh super unrealistic and never never would happen in a real world but then there are elements of things that would work in a real world mm. and i feel like volume two he nails it a bit better yeah. like he, he does a better job at executing this idea of there are there are some real world aspects that are rules within the real world and then there are some fake things that don't exist in the real world that still work. It's kind of a, a melting pot of those two concepts, okay. right? And I think he lands it much better in this one. In Volume 1, it just felt awkward. It didn't, like, the execution wasn't quite Were there. you talking about the things that aren't possible? You're talking about all the martial arts stuff, like one person yeah. type of thing? Yeah, yeah, kind of like the, a little bit of the wire work maybe and some of the, like, the way that some of the um, assassins die, you know, like with all the exaggerated blood sequences and blood spatters oh, right. like some of those that. things mm, nah and maybe 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 it's got to do with the super paper thin story yeah. maybe you know, and not giving a lot of credence to allowing the audience to to be involved and sort of um you know, like participate in this world that he's building. Yeah. And so and maybe that's it. It's like maybe the world building of Kilbo Volume One or trying to world build Kill Bill as a as a world itself. It just wasn't built very well, I don't think. And I feel like volume two we understand it better. And I think it comes down to just the way the story is constructed in this in this one. That's, I agree with that. Yeah. Like I feel like he put so much story in number two and so much action in number one, it made me not respect the action as much. Um, Mm. And that was kind of a shame. Because at the end of both of them, yeah, I thought like, oh yeah, I get number one now. You know, it's over the top. There's a lot of like crazy visual sequences and and sort of Mm. when you've got this paper thin plot on top of it and you've got like these terrible, you know, like they just don't look very smooth, it it kind of sucks. But then when you have the storyline placed on top of it, you look back and I can kind of appreciate it a little bit more now. So yeah. He definitely like capitalizes on his strengths much more in volume two. For sure. Um, it's with the yeah. with the crappy kind of 
um, martial arts skills that she has. Like it made more sense because he put her in a context where it just looked more entertaining and more to the strengths of the character. Um, and, you know, coming back to that, we're saying like in volume one, uh, Vivica A. Fox scene and her, that fight sequence in that environment forces them to be clumsy and um, very unnatural and yeah. And that gives way to more entertainment. And so he puts us back in that situation with Al. You know, the they're in the lady. caravan and like, they're in the caravan. And it's so chaotic. Yeah. It's much grittier, it's grungy, it's super rustic, and they have no idea what they're doing. And they kind of know what they're doing, but they kind of don't. Um I think it's just simply because of that environment. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it's never it's never a picture that they don't know what they're doing. Like they they're good at what they do, but it's a lot of throwing into things, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Kill Bill Volume 2 pretty much the same, st- uh, same cast from the first one except we see much more of Michael Madsen's character who is Bud aka oh, yeah, Sidewinder I, I don't think you even see his face in the first one, right? Or... yeah, you see his face in the first okay. one like, we, we see the assassins in the first one well, he never one. says anything no, he doesn't say anything yeah. at all which is weird, Like he gets a credit for that movie but I guess because of his appearance maybe part of the contract non-speaking credit non-speaking credit, yeah um, Vivica A. Fox also gets a credit in this because we see her face at the very end of the film. Oh, in the, in the, um, credit. <laughs> in the credit sequence. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious. Um, a bunch of new characters. I think we get Michael Parks as a new character, James Parks. No, 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 no. The McGraw father and son duo. I think they're the cops, aren't oh. they? So they're in the first one, not this one. I thought. Oh, Okay. Maybe I got that wrong then. Yeah, and Buck and <laughs> um, Jonathan. This looks like it could easily be the cast of the first movie. Oh, okay. Probably at this list. Maybe. There's no what about Buck? Was Buck in the first one? Yeah, Buck's the guy who rapes her in the hospital. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, Michael Bowen. Okay. We'll scrap that. Maybe this is volume one. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, you know what? IMDb exists, everybody. If you want to know the cast. Yeah, look up the cast. So, <laughs> um, with a runtime of two hours and 17 minutes, this is slightly shorter than volume one. This also had a similar budget of 30000 and it raked in um, 150000 Oh, sorry, $30 million, not 30000 <laughs> That would have been incredible. <laughs> what an amazing return oh on investment. Uh, with a box office intake of $152 million. What was volume one? Should we have volume one was you got that 180 million. The less people saw too. Less people. We saw would it, have yeah. been the people that like left. I would have been like, <laughs> oh yeah, nah, nah, not not doing it. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, Quentin Tarantino has got such a reputation at this point. You know, he's he's done how many films now? At this uh, point, one, two, four, three, right? four. This will fifth, yeah, volume two will be his fifth. Oh film. yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, coming off of Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Volume 1, it makes sense that Volume 1 would have made a lot of money. Everyone's, like, excited to go see a Tarantino film. Yeah. And perhaps a lot of them were disappointed by Volume 1 and so therefore didn't want to see Volume 2, which makes sense. But that also doesn't make sense because the critic rating and the audience rating were super high on this on Volume 1. Yeah, but I feel like the people who vote for these things are not always the people who talk about it, right? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But it just doesn't seem like there's any correlation between the box office intake, right? And the uh, critic ratings and the audience ratings. I feel like there rarely is. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, that could be a thing. Like, but critic- volume two did get a higher score. That makes sense because um, that that means people who are forced to vote vote. Um, people who like go, oh, you know what? I didn't really mind it. I don't care enough to vote about it, but you know, I'm not going to watch the second one. Then yeah, they're right. leaving one. Like, how much? How, um, what's the, what's the one tomato scores on like the Avenger films? Like, because they're like doing they're pretty high. They're like nineties. Really? Are we are we talking about all the Avengers films? Oh, just the one, the ones like like the first one. What's that? I'm curious about that. Well, the first one, I think the first one's probably in the nineties as well. Really? Yeah. I didn't like that movie. Mm. Avengers, mm. not that one. But um, while you look that up, you know we'll talk about the Rotten Tomato scores for Volume Two. 84 by the critics and 89 by the audience, so a little bit higher. Wait, 8.09 um, dB, by the way, for for the Avengers 1. 8.0. Oh. 89? Uh, I mean, you want to get... Oh, oh get dB. Sorry, sorry. I'm dB. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you meant a Rotten Tomato score. Uh, I, I, see, I, I still don't really get Rotten Tomatoes as a, as a concept. Hmm. It's just a very, very large general aggregate of all the reviews. Yeah, but you just have to sort of say, like, do I like it or not? Yeah, it's only one. It's only one on... Because, on, on. like, I don't know. Like, a six mm-hmm. shouldn't be the same as a ten. I agree. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get into that. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, Volume 2. The bride continues her quest of vengeance against her former boss and lover, Bill. The reclusive bouncer Bud and the treacherous one-eyed Al. Um, what? Oh, did I just like butcher that? No, 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 no. I reckon that was pretty. Oh yeah, full stop. Okay, I just didn't read it correctly. But yeah, so we're obviously continuing from volume one, and we get into volume two, and we only have like two assassins left, um, and then we get to Bill. Uh, the interesting thing about this movie is that it starts off with meeting Bill. Right in the beginning, mm. in the black and white sequences, um, and some new pieces of information other than like the rest of the film being like the massive exposition for Kill Bill, the Kill Bill story saga, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, one of the things that we get revealed here right at the beginning is that the wedding wasn't a wedding; it was a rehearsal. Um, I don't know. If that doesn't really make any difference. Yeah, I, guess. I don't know like, <laughs> how important that is. Um, yeah, I don't know how important. Well, maybe maybe it's important in the sense that um, it was. I don't know. I, it was more egregious for Bill to intercede or intercept. You know, at the rehearsal, as instead of like waiting until the wedding to kill her or whatever. Yeah, it's so but, weird. I would have loved to just sort of understand the um, importance of of that plot point. I'm sure there's something there that we're not seeing like yeah. oh because it's a rehearsal it's more casual i don't really know oh mm. maybe because all of they just needed to find a way to explain that all of the grooms um family weren't there yeah but then like what's there's nothing significant about that either like the very nine <laughs> people that die right they don't want the room to be yeah. a loser but i guess so yeah. they don't want to kill all his family and friends because that would make bill way worse and by the end they want to make bill kind of redeemable okay i'm just talking myself into a theory here (laughs) (laughs) it's just interesting like the kind of choices that tarantino makes for his scripts because it's things that kind of make you want to think more about why you would add that as part of the exposition Mm. right like because you would 
you would just assume that there's something significant about having having it a rehearsal because like it's it's not a piece of dialogue per se i think it's like a narrative you know it's like a i think it was part of the narrative um when what's her face beatrix you know that's who we, we find out her name is beatrix okay. still don't understand why I, that was a secret yeah can, can i <laughs> it doesn't even that? address that. like her name we can, yeah we can talk about you just that, find yeah. out randomly that it's like beatrix kiddo and he's been calling her kiddo yeah. the entire time as if like mm. she's like a younger person, and he's treat like it's a it's a term of endearment, but no, he's just calling her by her surname, and I don't is that her surname? The kiddo? yeah, Beatrix Kiddo apparently. I mean, we just know it's Beatrix Kiddo because it does the flashback into the, the school time classroom sequence, yeah. school time. But she's not even a kid; she's just her normal age. Yeah, I think that was, that's weird. Uh, there's probably more to that again that we're probably missing, but like I don't mm. understand. Like, one thing I never really understood is they clearly have people say her name and then they bleep it out, right? So there's some sort of like stylistic reason. Yeah, that that never just that never gets addressed. Yeah, there's a stylistic why. reason why she doesn't have a name, and like I feel like that could be like again an homage to those old films because in a lot of those old films the hero doesn't actually have a name; they're just the hero, the wanderer, the blah 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 blah. Really? Yeah, but <laughs> pretty sure every single martial arts film I've seen <laughs> they had names. Uh, I'm talking about like maybe samurai films, like in in Yojimbo, one of my favorites. Um, they don't have it. He doesn't have a name. He doesn't. Have, he's just a guy. It's kind of like the annoying, that annoying um, piece of information of uh, the tenant. How his name is not a name; it's well, the protagonist. I think that's kind of interesting <laughs> about that, though, is that like at least in Tenant, it's not as glaring. Like they don't really refer. To, it's not that often that they they should have referred to him by name for that sentence to make sense. Whereas in this film, they actually say her name and it's bleeped out for some reason. So it's like, it's for the audience to not know. And then the audience does find out. And I don't know if there's any like storyline ramifications of her name being that name. No. There is. Same thing, same thing goes with the wedding being a rehearsal. They well, the wedding was a make it I talked myself into a theory. A we wanted to make the guy... Yeah, I mean, we could probably talk ourselves into a theory about her name, too. Okay, but... let's try that, because I, I have nothing. Do you think it's got something to do with just her being an assassin? You know how assassins have to be anonymous? But everyone else has names. Uh, yeah, but they're not as significant as the main character, perhaps? But they, they you know, all. So, but the thing in the universe, they all know her name. They all know her name except the audience. Exactly. Just the, he deliberately withdraws that information from the audience for no reason. This is something that, like, if one day we get to interview Tarantino on this podcast, yeah. we ask him that. We ask him all these questions. We go like, "Why did they make her name?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, it should be thinking." Yeah. I'm like, "But why?" Yeah, I have no idea. But, but, because like, this is not the same. It's not the same type of question as like, "What was the golden thing inside the box?" It's not the same type of question, right? Because I'm happy to not know the answer to that question. Yeah, I'm happy to not know that. Because like, the thing is, if he just wrote his dialogue in a way that they never said her name, fine. If they yeah. said her name, also fine. The idea that they say the mm. name and then he bleeps it out in order to reveal it later and it not to mean anything is odd to me. Yeah, it is odd. But it, it also just could be that quirky nature of Tarantino filmmaking. There's a lot of things that he has in his films that are just very quirky and just I'm, odd. I mean, we've seen, what, <laughs> four of them now? Nothing's been like this. This is the fifth one we've seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually trying to think about, like, what else? I don't think there's been anything particularly quirky so far, by the way. But maybe this is, like, his development as a filmmaker. Of the quirkiness? 
yeah, the quirkiness. Like, actually, hey, by the way, the sidetrack from the quirkiness. Yeah. What I noticed, like, uh, it was also in volume one. You know, the um, there's that kind of uh, piercing, kind of alarming soundtrack oh, yeah, that, 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 that kicks that, in. I, 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 What's it called? Apparently, Ironside or something. Ironside, right? It's from a funk band or something. Maybe, yeah. I'd imagine, yeah. And the dun, 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 dun. so that that thing, like he 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 uses that in, in Glorious Bastards. Oh, well. okay. You know, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, where where have I heard the that from? In that close up concept of like the same the same use as whenever, well. Like so the he, main character wants to see something they want to kill. Yeah, yeah. like that soundtrack kicks in and then the, the slow zoom in as well. It's not that slow, but it kind of like a medium pace zoom in to the character. Yeah. He uses that same thing. And, um, and in glorious busters, mm. I can't remember which scene, but man, oh man, I can't wait till we, we get to in glorious busters. Oh, you love that one, don't you? That movie is, it's a masterpiece. I do love it. I do like and it. it. He, he even says it at the end, right? He says it at the end when he's uh like the last shot. Oh, when he's carving the camera. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the camera looks up to Brad Pitt and the other guy, yeah. and then, and then that guy says to Brad Pitt, "Hey, I think this might be your best work." Or and then this is like a masterpiece or something. And then it ends. Yeah, it's right. Like, wow, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very meta. It's very, very meta. Um, okay, so let's not talk about Inglorious Bastards, but um, let's like jump into parts of the plot here. Yeah, I think we've so, already done our highlights and stuff. Yeah, so like right at the beginning, um, we made the pregnant bride and her groom rehearse. Before we jump to that, can I ask a question? So uh, the the literal first scene of the film is okay. the bride essentially giving a recap, breaking the fourth wall. About like the first film in a way, right? She's like, "I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I've killed Orenishi, and now I'm gonna kill Bill." Like it's just it's like sort of yeah. black and white. It is a recap, yeah. yeah Feels yeah. twins peaky, twin peaky a little bit. I don't know, just like driving this long road. I haven't seen right? Twins Peak. Twin. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a stretch. That's a stretch of a of a comparison, but well, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Sin City. Okay, yeah, that checks out actually. Yeah, yeah Sin City. Sin City does a lot of that, you know. Since it is like all monochromatic, and black and white, it's a lot of like narration, right? Not all narration, yeah. So anyway, like, what what do you think about that as like sort of the 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 vibe of this film? Because in that first film, again, I felt samurai film, right? Older samurai film. In this mm. one, she opened with that, and that like took me like out of that expectation almost immediately. Um, at first, I was kind of like, "All right, he's going to remind me of that boring ass film that we just watched." <laughs> oh, okay. So you were just sort of like bummed out a little bit. No, well, not necessarily. I mean, we start off with a fairly new visual, you know, not like compared to the first movie. Like it's black and white. Mm. She's the camera is like locked in, like in this like kind of medium shot frame. Um, it's clearly like a green screen so behind her, right? Like it's. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's purposely comical. Like it's supposed to look fake. Yeah, I've noticed that with yeah. all of the driving scenes. Like the technology was there to make it not look as bad as it does. Mm. And mm. At, at this point, I feel like it was done on purpose, and I think I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because there's so many of these types of uh, stylistic choices that happen with the way Tarantino films mm. Kill Bill with all the unrealistic things, you know, yeah. like you kind of throw in the green screen in there. You throw in like the, the shitty flying kick sequences, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, 
which it's it's so enjoyable like the, to open up that fight sequence between her and Elle, um you know where she opens the oh, door and did. the camera's like and then the camera is like uh, mounted onto her legs and she's doing a flying kick with her toes with her feet there again like an like another piece of uh you know tarantino foot fetish yeah. oh yeah <laughs> one thing i kind of uh I don't, I don't know if i want to get into it now but like okay i'll talk about feet later okay talk about feet later <laughs> but yeah you know the it's all these kind of stylistic choices that i think deliberately are trying to say yeah we're not trying to we're not trying to make it look real. We're just good, trying to make it look fake because it's kind of funny. Yeah, like, and um, like there is there is kind of a comedic element to to this film, like to volume two in particular. And I I kind of enjoy the comedic element. Um, so yeah, that green screen thing with um, the black and white sequence, the Mario Sin City looks a little bit fake, which is it's actually an interesting thing to say because he's. Um, he said, I think I might have put it here in the facts oh, yeah. sheet. Um, oh, you got facts. I got facts, man. I got facts for days. No, I didn't put it in this one, but I remember reading it. And I think I was going to tell myself that I was going to put it in here, but I didn't, obviously. <laughs> um, he got Robert Rodriguez to um, help out with directing some of the sequences in this film. And he asked him to do it for $1. <laughs> Wait, so, uh, okay, what is the, the what, what does that mean? So that means, like, in reference to what we were saying before about the black and white sequence with Sin City, he said to him, I'll repay you mm. by helping you direct a film, which he ended up helping him directing Sin City for $1 as well. Oh, okay. So, sorry, I didn't know who Robert <laughs> Rodriguez was in this context. Yeah, sorry. Robert Rodriguez is the director of Sin City. It's his, like, longtime best friend filmmaker, and he does a lot of collaborations with him. Like, he oh. stars in his films. Um, he might produce or write some of uh, Robert Rodriguez's films. But Robert Rodriguez always kind of helps him out in some kind of capacity, but never really in the directing or writing area of Tarantino's own films. Um, but Tarantino helps out in all of his films. Um, he was in Desperado. I, I love that, that movie, I think. Yeah, so Tarantino is like in Desperado. You know, he's in the bar. Yeah. The first time you meet him is in the bar, and it's got Summer Hayek as the right. stripper and or the dancer. Yeah, yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote the scene where he licks Summer Hayek's feet. <laughs> he wrote that scene specifically for him. So that he would be able to, be able to do <laughs> so it. So that he could, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. What a weirdo. Um, anyway, so, yeah, they're just very, very good buddies. And um, he got Robert Reese to direct a couple of scenes that he just needed some help with. And he said, if you could do it for a dollar, I'll repay you and I'll direct one of your scenes. Yeah, fun. Um, in a movie for a dollar as well. So And that was Sin City. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um. Whether or not this has anything to do with this scene <laughs> looking like Sin City, I don't know. It just it could very well be just a coincidence. Yeah. Um, but I kind of liked it. It set the tone for the film, in my opinion. Like, it kind of, like, pushed yep. it away from what I thought it was going to be and got me into a mindset of, like, oh, it's going to be different. Why do you think a good 20 minutes or maybe even 15 minutes of the film is black and white? Oh, look, I can't really because <laughs> I was like, I like this black and white stuff, but I'm like, why is it black like, and white? I didn't think like maybe because it's like her old life and that's all seen in the past, black and white. I don't know, right? Like, but her city, her driving the car is not the past. Yeah, that's black and white too. Okay, no, I can't speak to yeah. it. So in the first film, there's a cool little sequence where like she rips out a dude's eye in the Crazy 88 fight and it goes black and white. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Like, I just I enjoy cool, sort yeah. of. That. And then she does it again in volume two. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't go black and white, right? But, no, um, no it's one of the few things I did like about like volume one, like the whole like it goes black and white, or when they go into that room, it goes all blue. Like that's really mm. really cool. But um, no, I don't know the the significance of black and white in this film. Yeah, it's just another one of those things that you got to throw on that weirdo Tarantino hat. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's quirks, cool, but the quirks work. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's fun. I still like it. Like, it, it definitely kind of um, keeps you focused. I think every time it goes between color and black and white. Um, uh, but yeah, we're we're sort of. Does it happen often? I think it really just happens this one time, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does revisit the black and white sequence. What, once when you get the story after. with uh, Bill, is that black and white? It's hard to tell. Oh, oh no. no, that was a, that was okay. This is the this is the weird thing that I actually wanted us to talk about is that he he makes these he makes a lot of stylistic choices that it just kind of stand out and make you think why. <laughs> like when it when it does the flashback with Bill, the whole like the color grading for that, yeah, and the filter is completely different. It feels like I'm in the eighties film or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like an 80s action film or something like really that? really like a fake scene in that one too. Like just the, mm. the scene of that campfire just felt super fake. Maybe the point of it was just to make you feel like you're in the 80s. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, there's not much to the, to the film from that era, so so maybe. That checks out. It was, it was weird, eh? Like I was like, wait, did something happen to my screen? I knew you were that one. Yeah. yeah, I was like, wait, did something happen to my screen? Why did it just change in color and tone and... <laughs> Yeah, bizarre but i was like wow i think this is just part of the flashback sequence but the and the th- weird thing is that when we do the flashback sequence with pi may yeah it's not like that it's just regular it's just regular yeah i mean it still looks kind of oldish but no it's pretty regular i know what you mean right like, no i think it's pretty real like i think the only thing that makes it old is the costumes perhaps yeah because like, like you've got driving scenes that look kind of shitty you've got that flashback story thing that's shitty and the rest of it's just filmed kind of normally yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. There's just like these sort of weird, um, and I bet like there's someone out there who's gonna be like, oh, of course these things are linked because of this, 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 this. And the camp, <laughs> Someone's like dissecting. You know, he, he's he's trying to show that the camp is whatever, right? Like, uh, please tell me. I don't know. <laughs> Some conspiracy theory. Um. All right. So at the so uh, the bride's uh, yeah. yeah the bride's former lover, the father of her child, the leader of the deadly Viper Assassin Squad. Again, by the way, one of the coolest names out there arrives unexpectedly and orders the deadly Vipers to kill everyone at the wedding rehearsal. Bill shoots the bride in the head, but she survives and swears revenge. So in that or, first scene, I just thought like again, I just want to be quick about it. Dialogue is fun. Um, I think is this the first time you see Samuel? Jackson, or is that in the first film? Yeah, it's in the second film. I right? don't. I, yeah, it's, I think it's this in the, is the first film. and only time we see Samuel Jackson. I was like, oh damn, Samuel Jackson's in this, and he just doesn't have a and he's not even cameo. he's not even credited actually. Oh, he is. He's in the credit sequence. Oh, is he? Yeah, I don't watch the whole credit. I just like turn it off straight away. Oh well, yeah, that's no, a pretty fun credit sequence actually. But I mean, it's just like it just shows people's faces with credits. Like it's not like just a scroll up. But, yeah. um, I don't know, cool dialogue. I think one cool thing in this film that I thought was, um, I want to draw attention to was, like, you go outside, you see Bill for the first time, right? And mm. he is, like, this soft-spoken guy. And you see, like, there's this, like, sort of, like, really elaborate sequence of them two walking towards each other. And yeah. you know what happens. So you're kind of on edge. But he really kind of... um 
disarms me at least, disarmed me as a viewer, thinking, okay, yeah, he's like a nice, soft-spoken, normal guy. And then, like, you see that scene progress through, um, and it seems like super normal. And then you see the 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 squad come in and, and like murder everyone. Like, you know what's gonna happen, but like, I feel like the tension is kind of just slowly going up as mm. you see the bride get more and more nervous that he is currently there. Mm. This this reminds me of um, just the skill that Tarantino has of building tension in scenes, mm. and I feel like he just gets better and better and better as his films, as he brings up more and more films. Um, and I really think he reach, reaches his peak with Inglorious Bastards. The way he holds tension. Oh, you're talking about the... Um, the just, uh, there's a lot of scenes. Like Obviously, the one of the best scenes in the film is with the Jews underneath the floorboards. When, oh, yeah, that um, one too, yeah. When Colonel Sands... Colonel Sands? Colonel Sands. <laughs> Colonel, <Sanders. laughs> Colonel Hans... 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 Zimmer. Something. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. No, it's like... Hans Lander. Hans Lander. Yeah. When he walks into the into the house, like that scene is one of the, or I think it's actually one of the best scenes ever in terms of tension and suspension. Um, so we see that in the early stages of his career, right here in like Kill Bill, like he's getting better at these scenes where he builds up. Um, and this is because this is one of the opening sequences of the film. For some reason, I'm I, I'm more interested in paying attention, and I think it's because the characters seem a little bit more um i don't know the, the the dialogue that they're exchanging between the characters feel a bit more interesting and something to do with like moving the story forward um or at least telling us our story <laughs> yeah i mean like to me the reason why i was interested isn't so much like oh it's one of the earlier scenes it's pretty much i am getting story that i've waited two hours for <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting background. Yeah, we're, we're starting to get those questions answered about like, who is Bill? Why does Bill even want to kill her? Yeah. Now we're establishing a relationship between these two characters, which was really important, and it kind of begs the question: Why didn't he just do this in Volume One? I really <laughs> like, like. There's no real reason I can think of right right now that you would refrain from having that in volume one perhaps like a lot of the rationale around this is just applying tarantino logic which is he loves to do long movies he loves to do long scripts and if you were to see this as what he intended it to be which was a four-hour film Mm. but studios weren't willing to grant him a four-hour film so he said i'll just cut it up do volume one and two okay sure if that's the case maybe Maybe sense. just make one movie <laughs> or just convince like, it. I don't know. Yeah, because like you, you get like it's a long film, and you think about it, right? You get Vanita Green at the start, um, and you're like that kind of sets the tone for the film. Action film, girl getting revenge. So you've got that sort of non-linear storytelling. Then you've got her getting, um, you know, sort of finding herself and making her legs work. Then you've got all this backstory on Oren Ishi, and then they just immediately kill her off. Now. I feel like the movie is better for having that backstory, but yeah, I would much have rather this backstory in that first film to just add weight mm. to what she's going through, to add weight to mm. why she's in this situation. Yeah. And perhaps like you, you probably would have had people a bit more invested into the whole um, story of Kill Bill, you know, and why she was doing what she was doing and why, you know, why he was the bad guy. And mm. because even by the end, I don't know how you felt about this because I don't think we touched up on it, but even by the end, like I didn't really feel that 
Bill was a bad guy because I didn't know enough about him. Oh, even by the end? <laughs> yeah, um, even by the end. Like, I mean, I understood that like he was out there to kill her because of the assassins, but we don't know why he was out there to kill her. Like, for all we know, like maybe she did something really, really bad. That no, doesn't he explain just that he just had his heart broken that she left? Yeah, but I guess like this—I don't know. I thought like, like, it, 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 it probably wasn't well, like. I thought. <laughs> but it just wasn't like maybe a good enough reason to, to send like seven assassins. And she questions that, right? She says like you yeah. overreacted. That's your reason, and he's like, "I'm a bastard. Yeah. This is what I do." But so we get those layers established in volume two, and those layers feel a little bit more. Oh, you're saying in volume one you didn't know that he was a bad guy? Because, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, you don't know anything about Bill at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I didn't. I was talking about volume two. Sorry? I was I was talking about volume one. Oh, yeah, yeah, volume one. You got no yeah. idea. That's what that's yeah. what weakens volume one. Like, I just don't understand why she's on mm. this journey. Like, I understand yeah. she wants revenge. And in those particular films, sometimes the revenge is, like, not that, you know, mm. not that clear cut. But two yeah. gives it a yeah. lot of depth, and I like that. And you know, the mistakes just feel much more. Oh yeah, um, they just feel much more meatier in this one it's, because it's now we meet the child. You know, we meet the child. Well, we meet the child at the end. Yeah, but we kind of know that it's leading up to that point because we get that little hint in volume one. Oh, that's like right at the end or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The child is little. Oh, it's literally the last scene <laughs> of volume Which one. Why do you think like it's actually not a terrible spot for the film to break? But yeah, you just you're missing a lot of backstory that would have helped Volume One not feel so shallow. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But cool. Um, yeah, four years later, the bride having already assassin, assassinated Dilly Vipers, Orange Ishi and Verita Green goes to the trailer of Bill's brother and Dilly Viper Bud, planning to ambush him. Um, having been warned by Bill beforehand, he and incapacitates her with a non-lethal shotgun blast of rock salt and sedates her. Uh, he calls our driver, another former deadly viper, and arranges to sell her the bride's unique sword for $1 million. He seals the bride inside a coffin and buries her alive. So there's quite a bit to unpack that there's quite a lot of story of, yeah. of like film we've covered there. But yeah, it's, it, I think the mo- movie is pretty efficient at this point. We established like what the whole wedding sequence slash like rehearse rehearsal sequence was leading up to her eventual kind like death kind of not death um with the deadly assassins taking everybody out in that in that rehearsal space then we get to the part where we meet michael madsen's character and we learn a lot about his character actually just yeah. even in this one scene when like this wait is it in the scene that we we know that it's the brother or was it yeah, until like, later. I think you know that he's the brother. You know that he, like, he's kind of got a bit of a guilty conscience, but also not guilty enough to, um, well, to do anything about, about it. it. <laughs> um, find out that he's but he's, he's he's guilty enough to just let her kill him as well. But I think that's kind of what he's implying. He's kind of like, yeah, I don't want to do like a massive ambush. If she comes, she comes, and I'm going to deal with it, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, his life is kind of shitty. Like mm. you know, he, he's got this like crappy job and. And mm. which kind of makes me wonder is like I want to learn more about his past because he's he's kind of interesting. He's got some layers to him. It kind of and is. like why is his why is his brother at the at the top of like what what seems to be like the most deadly assassin group of all time? Yeah. Well that's kind of like what they make it out to be. How is his brother at that at the top and of his like game? A retired alcoholic, right? Yeah, and he's like this this burnout, like at a and he's a bouncer at a shitty 
strip club or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of implied um, that like he quit on purpose, but you don't really get a sense of that, right? But like it's kind of funny, yeah. right? Like you've you've got this guy, one of the best killers in the world, presumably, and he's getting like told off by this strip club owner, and he's just sort of taking it, and then. Mm-hmm. He goes outside and one of the strippers is like, oh, hey, the toilet's backed up. I need you to fix this before you go home. And he's willing to go do it. Yeah, okay. Show me this toilet. Right. That's weird, huh? Like it's, again, it's another one of those things, those Tarantino things where there's a lot more questions than answers, especially for a character. It gives a pretty deep insight into his character, right? Like you've got this guy, one of the best killers in the world, seems to just like want to do a normal job. You know, it's sucking up a lot of like, garbage in a way like you know people are just sort of mm. throwing crap at him and he's just sort of taking it i yeah. yeah he's the complete opposite of his brother his brother's driven supposedly yeah. right his brother has wants. like some kind of purpose yeah. you know <laughs> yeah he knows what he wants he seems confident he seems stable and then his brother is like a dropout complete dropout and, has no purpose like he has a he has a sword that he lied about and I not have that was interesting like yeah that was he hopped the sword at a pawn shop for 250 yeah why did he even say that like why did he say that to bill was it for him to just not uh, not have any kind of accountability to perhaps go on another vendetta for yeah. his brother i don't know it feels like maybe like he just doesn't want to be in that game anymore like i feel like again you're right there's questions and and no specific answers but they show us enough to sort of get a sense of like who is this guy and what is he trying to do like he definitely doesn't want to be doing a whole lot more assassinating but like he is pretty cruel to to um the bride oh yeah eventually when when they when they cross paths yeah yeah like he it's it's weird eh? because it it kind of reminds you of his character in reservoir dogs like a little bit right like a little bit pathological and is he just um, doing it for Elle's money though? Like he's like, because yeah, he's definitely not willing to like lie to Elle because she's like, I want her but, to but then, to but then that's yeah. another question. It's another question and no answers. Like, why is he willing to do it for a million dollars when he had when he knows he's got a sword that is priceless, but he doesn't want to sell that sword? And that's actually kind of interesting about that too. Like, I was sort of trying to pose a theory that like he doesn't want anything to do with his brother. He doesn't want to do assassinating anymore. But that sword is clearly a gift from his brother. And it's a gift that says, like, you're the only man I ever love. Presumably, he hasn't thought it because it's emotional. So maybe he has some love for his brother, which kind of throws my previous theory out the window. So. <laughs> but that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because, like, he's willing to do it. Like, he's, do, he's doing that job for hours so he can get the million dollars. Yeah. But, like, the million dollars is because he was going to sell the sword to her. No, but it's, he uh, it's Uma Thurman's sword, though, right? That sword has no emotional bearing to him. But why does that, why, why would why does he care about a sword from his brother? Because yeah, like that sounds like he cares about his brother. Which is why <laughs> would he stop working for his brother? Maybe he's got to kill him. But then he's pretty happy <laughs> killing the bride, so I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's 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 interesting, yeah. Like yeah. Tarantino has this way of like creating characters where he he they're interesting enough for us to have conversations about you know for us to have like a 10 15 minute conversation about um and it's it's equally frustrating but equally entertaining yeah because <laughs> like, he's a cool character in this film like i think he's one of the coolest characters in the whole kill bill thing well, i mean there's not that many characters so i guess i suppose that's like yeah like he hard. he he overwhelmingly gets way more development compared to any of the other characters maybe with the exception of um Orenchi. 
and Omen Ishii, like her her development is pretty like one note, right? Like it's like yeah, she went through some shit, and now she's really really powerful, and then she's yeah. really really powerful, and then she's also really quite powerful. Like it's just a whole yeah. lot of like she's really good at what she does, and she killed a bunch of people, and now she's really good. Yeah, Bud has more complexity. I feel like Bud has more complexity as a character compared to Bill. I would have liked <laughs> to have seen that complexity actually manifest itself. Like he he sort of has all these conflicting yeah, emotions that's true. and. But at the end of the day, you know, he just kind of gets, like, killed off. <laughs> yeah, he just gets killed off by a snake, yeah. which is... I thought he was going to survive. I thought I thought she was going to give him an opportunity to survive as she's, like, explaining what the poison does yeah, right. to a human. And, which is a really cool piece of dialogue. I, I enjoy that. That's a very Tarantino thing. I enjoy, I enjoy the fact that, that like, she's, lot. like, reading out of a notepad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, like, like, that's such a quirky thing. Written verbatim from Wikipedia, it feels like. It's funny. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. That's like the kind of comedic element that I was talking about. Um, so I thought at that point she was going to give him an opportunity to survive, but then he just straight up dies. Yeah, he just dies. Oh, <laughs> dies less. He, he dies like even earlier than expected as well. Because what was it, like 10 or 20 minutes no, or something? No, but that was like one bite, right? He got bitten like four times in his face. Oh, like, yeah. And, yeah, and she was talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's screwed. Yeah, that's right. But um okay cool so we got to this point where like she's buried alive and i kind of thought to myself wait how is she going to get out of this and then then we get that whole flashback sequence where she meets pay payway pi may yeah i may for the first time and a classic classic look oh actually for sensei so if if she's (laughs) not a sensei it's a sorry uh um not a sensei he's a sensei um no, Sensei's like the Japanese Oh, term. like a Sifu. Sifu, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of funny, right, with, with Pai Mei. Like, so at this point, though, I'm not sure if you want to talk about it. We have had the conversation with Bill at the campfire at this point. Because he talks about Pai Mei in the campfire conversation. Oh, yeah. you see Pai Mei. That's right. Uh, is there anything you want to say about that? Like the fact that he's like sort of playing off his own comments? <laughs> mm. But he's playing his uh, background really. music in that scene. I found that funny. Yeah. Um, I don't have any strong comments, but if you want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting story. Um, and it shows, I think, a lot of characterization between the bride and Bill. Like, she's like a giddy schoolgirl in, in that sequence. You know what I mean? Like she's, like, yeah, she's that's true. Like, wide-eyed, just looking at him with love. Um, I, guess, I guess, like, the, the only thing, the only takeaway I have from that is that they do have some pretty rich history together and she admires him a lot. Yeah, like a lot, right? Like she's yeah. she thinks he's like the best dude ever. And then he explains that he hasn't been taught the the five point palm exploding heart technique, which That's right. Yeah. Which she learns. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so then you have that scene where she meets him. One thing that's funny is that like you've got you got these language differences that Honestly, an older, like a, a previous Tony would have complaints about, but I'm actually happy that she's just able to speak English. Like, whenever she speaks, like, different languages, it sounds pretty crappy. I'm happy that <laughs> when she's speaking Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just bad. So I'm really happy. It's funny because I, I, like, her Mandarin was so bad, it sounded like bad English. I was like, yeah. is she trying to say something? There's English? a point where she actually says, like, like he, he asks, um, can you punch this war? And she says, like, can like she says like she says this stuff where it's like like essentially like I can but not like that but it's got like yeah. three Chinese words and four English words in that same, in that right. sentence yeah 
Yeah. And it's just kind of funny. But yeah, I'm really happy that they just leaned into the fact that she's speaking English, he's speaking Mandarin, and it's just yeah. like, or he's speaking Cantonese, I think. And they just sort of let that happen. Was it Cantonese? I sounded Mandarin. I think he says Cantonese in oh. the subtitles. Um, but anyway, sequence is fun. You see Pai Mei, you learn about him, she gets treated like shit, and you kind of get an understanding of like how she gets so good. Yeah. I don't know. That's like the usual apprentice master thing that you see in most kung yeah. fu movies. And you see her where like, she's like super shit. She gets treated like shit when she's she's trying to. It's funny because like. <clears throat> Um, I didn't see this coming. They were going to do the one inch punch, which is that's a very famous technique within Wing Chun. Yeah, because yeah. you know, I, I told you I do Wing Chun as well, right? Ah, oh, no, I didn't remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um, Wing Chun I've been or doing... a Jeet Kune Do thing. Uh, well, Jeet Kune Do is from Wing is Chun. I know from like, Wing Chun. <laughs> yeah, but like, who did it? Right, like the one inch the punch. one inch punch. Is that a well, Bruce Lee like, or not? Is, I guess is the question I'm really asking. Because if it's I mean, I, I don't know if... I think Bruce Lee just made it famous, but... Okay. Like, we learned this in Wing Chun as well. Okay, so it's a Wing Chun thing. Yeah. But you can definitely oh, see a lot so, of Jeet yeah. Kune Do things finding their way back into Wing Chun in the modern time. If you read the Jeet Kune Do book, it's just principles from Wing Chun. He's just taken that, and he's added, like, boxing. Didn't and... he, no, didn't he throw a lot away? Because I actually had that book. Like, it was a big black one, right? Like, like sort of, yay, yay big? Maybe, yeah. Like, his whole premise was... Um, You'd rather do one kick a thousand times than like a thousand kicks. So like, he, I thought he yeah. threw a lot away from Wing Chun and just made it like super, super efficient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably a lot of let's say fat um, within Wing Chun that he just trimmed the fat mm. of Wing Chun and just decided to come up with a much more like um, I don't know, like athletic perhaps and slimmer version of what Wing Chun should be. like effective, and, right? That's yeah. kind of, I, I think that's what he was trying to do. But any, anyway, sorry, yeah. one inch punch. I thought that was cool. One inch punch, yeah. The cool thing about it was that like, as she's learning it, it triggers in the viewer's mind, at least in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's how she's going to get out of this situation. And Right. Like, it, didn't, she, it didn't occur to me like at all because the sequence was so long. I was like, oh. what? <laughs> like I was kind of enjoying the training thing, I was like enjoying the sparring that they were doing with the wire work kind of reminded me a little bit of like crouching tiger and dragon fun stuff. I like that. Yeah. Uh, some fun stuff. And I was like, I completely forgot that she was in the coffin. <laughs> oh, right. Like, but like, you know, they have the training, training, training. And then he's like, punch this, punch this, punch this. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, but even like the punch this, punch this, I didn't, I didn't. Oh, you were just like thinking, oh yeah, it's just that, training. Cause I, I, yeah. Cause I just totally forgot that she was in the coffin. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Cause like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. thinking of like, you know, you got uh Tarantino, he does a lot of like, he tells you the future before he tells you the past, right? Does it all the time. That's like, I would say yeah. that, if anything, is like a Tarantinoism. Yeah. Yeah. And this was worth it as well. I mean, like it was, it was entertaining yeah, and fun great. and also comedic at the same time. And, and then when we get to actually like before we get, get to the part where she's punching her way out of the, out of the grave, um, the training sequences that she was doing, I was like, wow, this reminds me of a very, very famous Kung Fu movie that a lot of people would consider as one of the greatest Kung Fu movies of time all time i probably wouldn't say it's one of the greatest movie kung fu movies of all time but i'll put it up there in the top 10 for sure What's that? which is a it's a shaw brothers film that made them super popular 36 chambers of shaolin oh that's what wu tang is that's what wu tang is like very well known for you know they yeah, they're called the wu tang yeah. yes 36 chambers exactly yeah but wu tang clan is like in one of the shaw brothers movies i don't i'm not sure which one it is the newer ones right has to be 
I I want to oh, say the clan, like the actual rappers, or are you talking about like no, the no, 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 Wu Tang like, Clan? The, 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 the name oh, Wu Tang Clan. Everyone like, <laughs> after the rappers got famous. No, <laughs> no, the Wu Tang Clan. I think it was like. I don't know which Shaw Brothers movie it's from, but I know yeah. it's from one of the later ones. It's not from 36 Chambers of Shaolin because there's no there's no team or clan in 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Um, but yeah, anyway, that, that film is considered as one of the best yeah. of all time. What, you actually, I would, I, no, I would, I would pull it in like top 10. I, I don't rate it that high. I like mean, there, yeah. there are like, Donnie Yen films and Jet Li films that would shit on those. See, that's the thing. I am weirdly modernistic when it comes to my my kung fu films. Like I I I respect you know what is it like the, this classic Jackie Chan film like uh, Eagle Claw and Snake or whatever. Some fearless hyena. I don't know. It's like it's like it's one of those two. I forget the name. It's like two animals, and like you watch yeah. it and it's like it's a pretty good film, but the. I don't know, you see like a Fist of Legend or something, 1994, right? It's not that new. And it's fucking incredible. Like the combat's fucking incredible. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, the only Kung Fu movie I like is anything that doesn't meet the standard of Ip Man in 2008. It's not yeah. good enough. <laughs> like, I know, but even back in the past, like the 80s, like you got Drunken Master 2. Like that's fantastic. You got like Iron Monkey. I think that's like sort of. Like, yeah, but you, you see, exactly. Like you like Iron Monkey. Iron Monkey's badass, man. That's such it's a good right movie. There. That came out in the late 70s. But you watch that like Eagle Claw or you watch like the 36 Chambers. Like it's not the same, man. It's, it's, no, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Like I think what you're trying to say is like there's a lot of kung fu movies, just like any other film, that are not timeless, right? They, that, they were made at that time, and they're kind of good for that time. Yeah, yeah. Like you can respect yeah. what they did because they were the first to yeah. do it, but you put them side by side, it doesn't do that well. <laughs> no, no, no. And 36 Chambers, like, I saw that recently. I think I saw it, like, last year. Oh, okay. Because uh, I, I try and, like, sort of watch it every now and then, and it's kind of cool. It's honestly too long. It's a bit boring. I think the first Chambers oh, for sure. are, kind, are kind of boring. <laughs> um, one of the most boring Chambers is probably the one where it's, the like, the candles, you know, He's got the two candles, like, besides him. Yeah, and he has to kind of, like, look for where the light's going. And, and if he moves his head too much, he gets burned by the candle. Yeah. That's probably, like, one of the boringest chambers out of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, so that's what this sequence uh, reminded me of. It reminded me of first 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Because she, she does the bucket thing. Yeah. You know, where she's, like, holding the buckets and she's walking and she's walking up somewhere. That's one of the chambers in that movie, right? Okay. Where he's holding the buckets, but instead, like that's like his one's much more brutal because he's got two swords that go underneath his arms, yeah. and if he drops it, it pierces his sides. Oh damn! Okay, yeah, but she just does the PG version, which is just carry the buckets. <laughs> just physical training. <laughs> yeah, physical training. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so so like she learns the one inch punch, or she doesn't quite complete it or master the one inch punch at the end of her training. Yeah, but it's kind of can't... implied that she does, but like you don't see it, right? And then she you don't see it doing it, and you realize. But really, like yeah, we, we come full circle when she's in the grave when she's actually. At the... I should note when she goes into the coffin, right? And they're they're nailing it down. You're really getting like. I think they capture that tenseness really well. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good. It's, it's like, a very, very good scene. The light is off, and you're, like, seeing the light, you know. And you're seeing, like, she's got a little bit of sunlight um, mm-hmm. behind her, and then you see it, like, yeah. slowly go away as each nail goes down. Yeah, She's yeah, freaking yeah. out, and she's... Yeah, like, that process of building is <clears throat> really, really like That protagonist, yeah, like, is, is freaking out. Like, the person that you think is invincible is not seeming invincible in this moment. 
I thought that was a really good job. And then also her escape takes a long time. She struggles. Like, yeah, yeah, she looks very vulnerable. It's a, it's actually a very good passage of, well, it's a very smart way of doing passage of time Mm. as we do the flashback sequence, we come back to it. Um, And even before we get to the flashback sequence, like once it's pitch black, we spend a good five, maybe six minutes in pitch black and all we hear is sounds. Yeah, just her like like whimpering and stuff, right? Whimpering. Well, we hear like the, well, we hear the the dirt being thrown on top of the coffin. We hear them driving off. Like all these kind of ambient sounds were just a very good indication of like passage of time. We get to the flashback sequence which takes like i don't know 15 minutes or something yeah, it, takes <laughs> it takes its time it takes a, it takes a while we come back to that moment and it feels like she's been in there for a long time uh but not long enough to sort of think oh she should have su- suffocated by now oh, yeah we know it's a um yeah <laughs> um and then she does she that probably should have suffocated by then though right she was down there for a while i don't i don't know the science behind like how long it takes before a human being suffocates without oxygen. That is true. Isn't it like a few hours? No. I think it's a few hours, yeah. What? I'm just, I'm just going by a, a scene, that I, well, one of the episodes I remember from CSI Las Vegas. Don't people drown like very quickly? No, I'm talking about confined space. I'm not talking about like underwater. <laughs> hours though? What do you mean? Like, Yeah, like, I don't know, like three hours maybe? You put like, me in a box. Airtight box. You put me, you put yeah. me underground. I'm gonna have air for three. How does that work though? Like, yeah, but like massive. you're way unfit compared to me though. <laughs> Do you reckon fitness has a has a has a effect? Mm, I don't know. Maybe it, it it would seem like a logical reasoning. Maybe I don't know. But, um, yeah, just because like I I guess like unfit people will just have shortness of breath quicker than like fit people. Maybe that's got something to do with like also being confined in a small space. Yeah, but um, it wouldn't take three awesome. hours to like five minutes, right? Like you know, like there's, no, there's no, the no, level no, of, no. of 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 the disparity would have been like that. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't know. It could be hours, but I just remember um, an episode on CSI Las Vegas where Nick Stoltz, no, not Nick Stoltz. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Eric's no, not Eric Stoltz. <laughs> I mixed uh, the names, like the real name and the character name. Anyway, one of the agents, he gets kidnapped and he gets put he gets put into a box. Oh, like the glass box, and he gets right? buried alive. I think I've so. seen he gets, literally like that scene and nothing else. Yeah, he gets buried alive and he has X amount of hours to survive before he suffocates. Because I remember, like the because you know, there's a low, whole bunch of science that they try and mm. explain in all these episodes. And I'm pretty sure it's like hours, like three hours or something. Okay, I, I could be wrong. CSI. hey you know to their credit they did so much research on science to make a fairly accurate scientific uh um posit i guess for a tv series that's not bad i know ncis does some really weird shit Mm. Mm. have you seen the double double hacking um video on youtube no oh man look it up it is so Was it something that someone got off NCIS or something? Yeah, it's NCIS. It's a scene where, I'm just going to spoil it for you because, you know, whatever, where they're getting hacked and someone's, like, fighting the hacking attempt. So she's, like, typing insanely fast on the keyboard. And then this other guy's like, oh, i got to help. He starts typing, too, on the same keyboard. So it's four hands, one keyboard, and they're just, like, fighting this hacking attempt. And it's like, how does that work? So it's the same keyboard. Right. So they're just like finishing each other's letters or something. 
Right. And I don't know if typing speed is usually the number one, like, thing that determines the hacking result. But anyway, let's stop. I wouldn't have a clue. Um, but the last thing I want to say about TV series I'm watching right now, or I should say re-watching right now, because mm. this is like one of the best TV series ever made, I tell you. Are you going to say Mentalist? I tell you. No, but I do love The Mentalist. Love the mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how do you know I love The Mentalist? You talked about the fact that you love The Mentalist. Oh, have I? Okay. No, no. But for some reason, I just had like this random moment where I was like, oh my God, there was that TV series I used to watch a long time ago that I really loved. And I just forgot about it for a very long time up until this point, which was beginning, oh, end of last week. This TV series called Fringe. I don't know if you ever heard oh, of yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never seen it, but I've heard amazing things. I've got a mate who watched that whole thing. It's like sci-fi Dude. detective stuff, right? The best way I can describe Fringe, it's X-Files had a baby with CSI Las Vegas, mm. but it was the most perfect baby ever. <laughs> it's, like, it's Joshua Jackson, right? Joshua Jackson's one of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Okay. John Noble, Kiwi actor. Oh, okay. Um, he was the guy that played uh, Lord... Wait. Uh, Lord... Theoden in Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> yeah, Theoden. Oh, no, sorry, not Theoden. I don't know. The the Lord of, like, Minas Tirith. You remember Minas Tirith, the city? In... Oh, the guy who goes evil? Yeah, the guy who turns on his, his oh, son and right. ends up killing him alive. That's nice. That's a, that's a big yeah. role. That's a really big role. Good role. Yeah, so that his name is John Noble, and he plays one of the main characters, um, the chief scientist of the Fringe Division in the Fringe Yeah, Division. yeah, Theoden was right. That's his name. I didn't, think was, I, think, I didn't think you meant that guy, but yeah, that's him. <laughs> I don't know if it's Theoden. No, wait, you're talking about you're talking about the king of the, um, the, the fake king of uh, Rohan. You Rohan, yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about the king of Minas Tirith, the the big white city that we see in Return of the King. I can't remember uh, his name. It was like the king something. I don't know. And he had the two sons, remember? And he burns one of his sons alive. I thought that okay, whatever. You know what? We know who we're talking about. Like, like that role is a good role. I thought it was Theoden. I thought it was Theoden. But we just spoke about like gazillion movies and TV series in the, in the space of like five minutes. Anyway, uh, that's all I want to say about TV series. But yeah, I'm what I'm rewatching it right now. Fringe, amazing. You should watch it because I think you'll love. It. One thing I should probably, uh, you know what? I, I do want to talk more about Lord of the Rings, but no, I shouldn't. All right. Um, <laughs> I think we promised the listeners that we will do a Lord of the Rings recap. Ah, okay. I'm, I'm in mm. All right. Yeah, I'm so, uh, so let's, let's, should we just cut to this part here? She's broken. Al arrives. Yeah. And they have yeah. the, the transaction about the mm-hmm. um, Katana. Yeah. And at this point, you know, Bill tells her, He's killed the bride. He asks her if she regrets. She says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she screws him over, and a snake is hidden inside of the um, the money and kills yeah. Bud. Kills Bud. Um, so she's ready to pack up and leave, take all her money back, her million dollars. I think she ends up leaving with, or tries to leave with about 150 thousand instead of a million because i don't think she gathered all the million dollars that was lying on the ground <laughs> oh no i think she does i mean like it's it's kind of implied that because like, she's doing it quite quite well i thought i don't think she left anything behind on purpose. She? why would she look i don't know the fact that they In had hurry, like, that sequence know. of her picking up all of the money implies to me that but it's she like she's doing it she, she was just it was something for the character to do while she's talking on the phone with bill 
Um, I thought she wanted to do it. I was actually kind of a bit mad. Like, you shouldn't leave the money behind. And then she spends over and starts, like, packing it up. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, good. Good on her. <laughs> she packs up, closes the suitcase, opens the door, and we get this cool shot of the camera going, boom, and it zooms out real quick. Yeah. And then it tracks in really slowly, mounted onto the legs of Uma Thurman. <laughs> And does a flying kick, you know that? Like, I remember the kick. <laughs> it's super, it's super fast. It's super fast. Yeah. Like the, it's a quick shot. I think it might be like two seconds that we see the the camera mounted onto her legs. It, w- it would have been interesting to see how they would have shot that. I'm sure it wouldn't have been that hard. She might have been like hoisted on wires or something, and then the camera is like mounted to her legs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the only reason I say mounted to her legs because it seems like a pretty steady shot when they're going in with the legs flying at L. Yeah. Um, it was just funny. Like, I just cracked up at that scene because, like, it's a flying kick and the flying kick gets real shit. <laughs> it's a funny scene. I do like um, this whole fight sequence. It's like, it's like, yeah, again, gritty. We talked about it before. It's fun to watch. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the face-off that they do, which was what I played at the beginning of this podcast, um, the face-off they do. It's a, it's a cool piece of exchange of words between the two characters. It's kind of like the last words that they want to say to each other. Um, and it's it's very corny. It's cliche. Right. Cliche totally for like a corny. And I think a lot of the dialogue is like kung fu movie. And, and campy, right? Like it's kind of there. Because I think that's that's the homage thing that I was talking about <clears> is that there's a, quite a few of these types of sequences in this movie. Because when you look at those kung fu movies of the past, they do a lot of like... Oh, for sure character you say something and then the other character says something like there's not a lot of interrupting it's always like and this is what he does in volume two <laughs> does it quite like he even does it with the scene in the beginning with um bill and beatrix with uh uma thurman's character when they're standing next to yeah you know in the black white scene when they go outside um outside of the rehearsal space Oh, okay. oh, sorry. She she walks outside and he's sitting on the chair. Yeah, like there's not a, there's no interrupting between the two characters. It's like she says something, he says something, she says something, he says something. So yeah, okay, it's like this happens with pretty much all the character interactions, <laughs> and then it becomes it becomes more obvious when they're about to have a fight. But would you say that that is actually like the common standard for dialogue in film? Like in a fight? No, not necessarily. Like in a fight. Sorry, yeah. In a fight sequence, like it's more obvious because we know that that's the that's what happens. That's what classically happens in kung fu movies. Is like they have the standoff. They look at each other in the eyes, and then they have like dialogue. Yeah. Like you, you talk, I talk. You talk, I talk. So that's it's more obvious in that sequence. But then I think it's kind of sprinkled subtly in all the other dialogue sequences without the fights. Because I was going to say, like, in the fight sequence, I think it's definitely, like, homage, right? Like, it's obviously pointing at certain things. But I feel like mm. in normal film slash TV show dialogue, there's just, like, very little interruptions. That's one of the things that, like... Do you watch, like, Always Sunny in, in Philadelphia? Are you a fan no. of that show? No, okay. That show, to me, is one of the only shows that has, like, a realistic level of interruptions when it comes to mm. conversations with people. Because that's that's normal conversations in... yeah. In like, general, right? The dialogue is is usually like that. Whereas I feel like in most TV shows, like it's just it's just quippy, and everyone's getting their lines out, and everyone's waiting after their lines to get their laughs. Mm. Like I don't know. I, I feel like outside of combat, it's like that's like kind of the standard um, dialogue that I notice. But I think it's a standard for just 
what I would call generic directors. Mm. I think some of the best directors out there know how to emulate real conversations. Yeah, I think Quentin actually is good at, in hindsight, actually, I do agree with you because I think Quentin Tarantino is good at um, having people interrupt in ways that make sense. But in this film, you're right, they don't. They don't, they don't. It's just really like character, 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 which it doesn't bother me. I think it's just like... That's great. Uh, it's like a creative choice that he wanted to go with with this particular movie. Um, I think like this and, movie was when it really clicked for me. All the homages and like in the first one I knew it was an homage, but I didn't enjoy it. In this one, I know it is, and I enjoy it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then like um, <laughs> one of the one of the last things of the of the sequence is that he get she gets to, <laughs> and um, like we revisit that that moment where she gets her eyes, her eye gorged. Because this is the scene where we do see the flashback sequence um, where she gets her eye gorged out from... Um, Pyre, hey, yeah, Pyre just rips Pyre it out of her face. Because she asks her the question, like, whatever, <clears throat> like, why was it that your eye got taken out by Pyme? And she says, oh, because I called him a old something bastard or whatever. It's kind of funny, actually, because, like, it's a question that I didn't realize I had. But I did. When they explained that, I'm like, you know what? I was curious about why she has one eye. <laughs> and it's nothing crazy significant. It's just yeah. the fact that she said something mean to him. And <laughs> well, you know, she was warned not to, right? He hates women, <laughs> Americans, and white people. <laughs> it's just funny. It's funny that he would just, like, gorge her eye out for it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then that's the one thing that she does to Al. Um at the end, uh, end I of find that funny. Like, it, I, I feel like this movie, the action sequences have like sort of unique endings that are kind of funny. Like, Bud just dies, right? It's yeah. kind of a unique way to go. And then they're having this long, long, long fight, and you think it's going to be like sort of an O Ren style, like you know, fight where they're, they're, it's like they're having this like last boss kind of fight where they take each other one on one, and really tough stuff happens, and then eventually one person comes out ahead. But no. They're just sort of face-to-face, and she plucks out her other eye, and then you've got Elle, like, just freaking out in the background. <laughs> and I find that that's hilarious. That, yeah, man. So much credit to, what's her name? What's her real name? Uh, Daryl Hannah, apparently. Daryl, Daryl Hannah. So much credit to her acting chops in the scene. When both of her eyes are missing, when she's in the room by herself, man, I could watch that all day. I could watch a whole movie of her just try to like try to figure out what to do without two eyes. I mean, like it's I can imagine that's how we would all behave, right? In that sequence. She was really selling it, man, and she was just throwing punches in midair and like getting like throwing herself across the room, like smashing into the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it was wild. I was like, wow, that's so good. So but the but then the question is like, does she die? Well, the snake I, I is still in there, die. right? Yeah, true. The snake is in there. So you could you could presume that the snake ends up killing her. Yeah. But I'm surprised that the snake didn't try and bite um Beatrix. I actually thought that as well. I, I kind of kept thinking that the snake was gonna find its way in and it just never did. I was happy. I didn't want the snake to come back. Nah, no, I didn't need that. Didn't need that at all. The scene was perfect the way it was, the way it was choreographed. And Al just being a psycho after that in the room and just losing all her bearings was just perfect way to end that scene. It was hilarious, so, yeah. Especially still after, a question uh, of the first movie, you kind of see these like long, drawn-out action sequences in these ones. They just get cut short in a way that you're kind of happy with. Yeah, yeah, they're satisfying. Yeah. 
I didn't need to see any more of it. I was like, yeah, cool. You got a gorgeous eye. That's yeah, great. I enjoyed that. <laughs> and then she steps on the eye and it's like the squishing sound. Oh, that like was that. gross. No, I couldn't handle that. I, like, oh, I, oh. Knew, I knew you would have been able to handle yeah, that. I was like, Tony's going to love this. Eyeball. I don't want to see this. In between the toes yeah. as well. Oh, oh man. man. That was dirty. That was oh. dirty. So, so she goes to Mexico, right? Well, I want to read this one real quick here. Uma Thurman and, Twin, and Tarantino came up with the character of the bride while working on the set of Tarantino's 1994 film Pulp Fiction. Tarantino mentioned he was interested in doing a revenge movie or a 1970s kung fu movie, and Uma Thurman envisioned a character left for dead on her wedding day, like the scene that opens up Kill Bill Volume 2. Okay. Interesting. Cool. It was just a sort of like a lucky occurrence. Yeah, like a cousin. So it kind of makes me think, like, if this was the start, if this was, like, the birth of that idea, why didn't they just start off Volume 1 with that <laughs> instead of Volume 2? I mean, no, Volume 1 is that, right? If you think about it. Like, she gets left for dead on her wedding day. You don't know why. Yeah, but it's, like, it's it's, I mean, it's not much at all. It's just a shot of, a close-up shot of her in the black and white sequence, and she's saying something to Bill, Um and she just dies. So, whereas, like, volume two is, like, exposition. Like we were saying before, like, this could have been in volume one and it would have helped with a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, like, you... I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say, I guess, like, number one is definitely a woman getting revenge after having been left for dead in, on a wedding day. You don't know why that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that quote, I think, is definitely encompassed in that first film. Yeah, yeah. Okay. One thing that um, this second, are you going to read through all the facts? The no, 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 no. Oh, I was, cool. I was. Uh, okay, I'll read the second one. I was going to like chime in that one a little bit later, but the second one is actor Gordon Liu plays Pai May in Volume Two, but he also appeared as Johnny Mo, the leader of the Crazy Eddie in Kill Bill Volume One. I want to. Can you look up and um, see what he looks like in Volume One? Oh, he's got no hair. He's I can imagine. Oh, he's the bald guy. Yeah, he's the bald guy. Ah, okay, cool. I remember the bald guy. Um, <clears throat> because he previously appeared in a kung fu movie called The 36th Chamber of Shaolin that heavily influenced Tarantino right, while writing Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. I wonder which one he was in 36th Chamber of Shaolin. To be fair, he must he's have been really well. He doesn't look that old. Wait, is he saying it's the main character of 36th Chamber of Shaolin? I don't Shaolin? know, but the fact no, that he's not in that movie at all. Um, I don't think it's the main character. Yeah, because the main character of 36 Chamber Shaolin, like he's he looks really different <laughs> compared to George Lou. Yeah, um, okay, because like yeah, he's like he looks like what 40 maybe in this movie? Not, not in yeah. this one, but like in, in the first one. 45 yeah. maybe? And like And volume two he, in this one he looks like he's 120. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> the, the the uh the makeup is the, well. the makeup was amazing. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so in Acuna, Mexico, Beatrix meets a retired pimp, Esteban Vihao, who helps her find Bill. She tracks him to a hotel, discovers that their daughter, oh, Bibi, is can still I alive. ask a question here, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. also, that, that whole sequence with the Mexican, and then you see that he's like a really dastardly pimp, and he's like disfigured women. Yep. What did you get out of that? 
Like just nothing. Like, he's a bad dude. <laughs> is it kind of interesting that the father, like the only thing that I can think of is he is the father figure to Bill and he's a bastard. Yeah. But honestly, like this, this character didn't need to be in the film. Like she could have got the information about where Bill is from one of the other characters that we yeah, yeah, already met. I easily. Know. I don't understand why he decided to have another character. He's that has old, some, so maybe yeah. the actor is from some film he loves, like that. Probably he loves to do that type of stuff where he puts in people that he's just writing a role just for. Yeah, like Sonny Chiba in the first film, you know, yeah. in those movies. Uh, Gordon Liu in this one as part of your facts, you know, it, it's it's the people who are part of the homage. It's like it's sort of like yeah. him buying um, credibility to do this thing yeah. in a way perhaps yeah and it's I, I i think that's a cool thing to do like it shows that he's still a fanboy of a lot of things right yeah and actually it, it kind of humanizes these famous people as directors and writers or whatever I, I do like it like a lot of people might think oh you know he's cheaply going about doing it but like he doesn't have to right like he can easily just right, make yeah. the movie he doesn't need to buy this credibility no one's gonna be like oh there's no one from 36 chamber of shaolin here this doesn't count so it's just like a cool thing for him to do, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're in Mexico. <clears throat> put oh, were you put off by the fact that um, you know she shows up, the kid is there, and then the presumed action sequence just like doesn't exist, right? And then it becomes like just heavy dialogue. Like, what were your thoughts of that transition? I kind of like the. I, I actually quite enjoyed when she first sees Bill in the house. She's ready to like to take him out. Yeah. But then Bill plays this like kind of playful sequence between him and the daughter or their daughter, I should say. Yeah. And so it's like, it's kind of like cops and robbers or something like playfulness. Yeah. I thought that was so cool because the acting that we got out of Uma Thurman was probably the best acting would seen ever <laughs> you know what's actually kind of funny i always shit on uma thurman for like sounding like she just reads dialogue it i didn't feel that in this movie nah nah she was like she was great in this. yeah she was great it was like the best performance i've ever seen her do in any of the tarantino films which is, is not many true. isn't it it's not many, <laughs> it's definitely true it's not many and like yeah but she was great and especially in this sequence where she has to she's she has to play along with it but she's also super emotional at the fact that she just she was just about to kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just about and like her going through transitioning from like serial killer to mother figure, like that that apex, yeah. you know, was I couldn't I could I couldn't think of a better way for someone to perform that scene. You know? But like she did that yeah. she did that so damn she, well. She buys into it even though like it cuts her up inside. And I think that's like yeah. Again, she does a great job. The plot makes sense. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Just, just that, that emotional baggage that she was carrying was all in her face, all in her eyes when yeah. she's crying. She's crying because she's seeing her daughter for the first time. Yeah, and she's also crying at the fact that she's she's about to come to con- like come to confrontation with. Is it? Should she kill Bill? Should she not kill Bill? Like, what should she do? Like, yeah, all of those complexities was just unreal to watch. I was kind of like, whoa, this is the best acting chops I've seen Uma Thurman do. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I really bought into yeah. that. So it was a really good scene to to write, and it was a really good, well-directed scene by Tarantino. 
Um, the only question I had after that was like, where is this going to go? You're kind of left yeah. in a in a position where you're like, maybe she doesn't kill Bill. At That's the, the shift, humans. right? Because like the, the entire film is kind of like humanizing Bill in some ways. And then there are also certain elements that like really demonize him, right? Like you see him yeah. talking to his brother and you're like, oh, and you see like how they were when they were young and you're like, oh, he's cool. Then you see again that like his father figure like disfigures prostitutes for a living you're like oh well yeah he's kind of a dick um <laughs> hey he's giving her giving them a career man what are you doing <laughs> but like uh it's just it's just kind of interesting you, you get like sort of both sides of bill so by the end it's actually legitimately like i don't know what to think of this guy yeah like he he seems like a f- uh father that cares about having very a daughter. Calm. he's very calm he's word he, se- he seems like a nurturing father as well um so it was it was a nice I think it was a nice shift to kind of make you think where is this movie going to end? Yeah. Is it going to end um by virtue of the title of the film or is it just going to surprise us yeah. and say hey they live happily ever after? But then like she's all loved him. But at this point of the film it's like we have about 30 minutes or something left in the movie. Yeah. So I can't really see them um Living happily after, ever after, at this point because oh, that's a living... time-consuming thing to write, though. Nah, it's a big leap to go from like being a serial killer to being like, "Hey, let's, let's yeah. it's all good." But you know, in, it's right. in, in the twenty seconds of her playing along with the um the cops and robbers game, it's not a stretch at that point to get her to accept him. Because you mm. see, the, this entire film, you're showing her love for him. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I I think she still has so much hatred for Bill. Like she's been on this quest for yeah. how long now? I don't know. A couple of weeks, I, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but like, he's a charming dude. You can clearly see in the um, bride scene and the campfire yeah. scene that she still loves him. Yeah, he's got her kid, which is the thing that she's always like regretted losing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Like, sure, you would have to write some more stuff to do it. You could pull it off in 30 minutes, I reckon. Is all I'm I don't think. I, I think it's a bit <laughs> of a leap. I, I think this could have... I would have been happy with, with this movie ending with the point of them being in still odd ends with each other, but finding a way to reconcile their relationship. And then we lead into, like, Kobo Volume 3. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um there would be like way yeah. too much ground to cover. I think. I think it would be too much of a leap. But You'd have to. They covered it though. You know what I mean? Like the the. the I don't think they entirely covered it because like, like she she was pretty she was pretty adamant to kill Bill. <laughs> she she like that was her. I think she was equally adamant to kill all of them. And realistically, like like the leap that you have to do to to leave him alive is the same leap to be with him as a mother, in my opinion. Mm, I just don't. I just can't see that happening in thirty minutes. I think that the only way that that could happen is if, like, the Cohen brothers, Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, all came together to write a thirty-minute scene. It'll happen. (laughs) 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 Actually, I I reckon the Cohen brothers would be able to pull it off in thirty minutes, maybe. Oh yeah, just have them flip a coin or something. Oh, the Coen Brothers are just like really smart at doing short sequences very efficiently, but giving us enough knowledge. Yeah. 
But okay, so she puts um, the kids okay. to bed. They have the conversation. There's the truth serum part, which I'm I don't really get. I don't understand about the truth serum part. They didn't need that. Like they could have just because because even the questions that he asked her with the truth serum lead nowhere. <laughs> like, oh no, but she she told like he asks her about like why she left, and you have that whole yeah. it's about her finding out that she's pregnant and her deciding to leave. But like that's something that she could have just been truthful about. Like they didn't need the truth serum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess like. <clears throat> yeah, it didn't actually make any sense for the character to have a true serum thing because we didn't, we don't have any reason to believe that she would lie until he said him. it, right? Until until he yeah. said it. Um, yeah, but like like she's pretty loyal to him, like and she's she loves him. Yeah. We have no reason to believe that she would ever lie to him. Yeah, until until he said it, I was like, you know what? If mm. he asked the questions, I bet she'll tell the truth. And then he's like, I yeah. knew you could never tell me the truth. So here's truth serum. I'm like. I okay. I, it's I a pretty weird it, thing. But I didn't have. need this. Like I don't need the truth no. And what an odd piece of device as well. It looked like a massive dart or something. Old, I don't know. It's got a light to the end of it. It's kind <laughs> of interesting, right? You've got this sequence where like um she wants to kill him and you kind of see him as like retired, he's a father, he's weak. But as soon as she gets close to the sword, he shoots it. Shoots yeah. out of hand. And he's like, you, from that moment, you know, okay, he's still like kind of a badass here, right? And then mm-hmm. they have that conversation on his terms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then I guess we just lead, a, we, this leads up to the point where they're sitting outside. Are they si- they're sitting outside, right? Yeah, they're sitting outside, yeah. just sort of finishing off the conversation where you just get all that closure and, and giant exposition. And it's kind of interesting, right? Pretty much. Like, in any other film, I would be mad that so much plot is explored in just a conversation with a bunch of flashback. Mm. Like you find out why she left, you find out why he did what he did, and it's just entirely conversation. Yeah. And, and for some me, reason, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. And like <laughs> that's what really pisses me off, because I would judge another film for having so much plot explained in one conversation. And for some reason, mm. I'm, not, I'm not judging this film for that reason. I don't know why. I don't know. I, th- I think it's just because, like, again, what we were saying before, is uh, Tarantino feels like he's getting more in his comfort space of what he's really good at, which is he's, for the most part, not every, he's not perfect at it. For, mm. for the most part, when he writes character sequences where they're interacting, they're entertaining, and I'm invested. Yeah. You know? I kind of care about what's going on on screen. Um and then eventually when we get to that point where she's she's now mastered the what's it called five point finger death thing or whatever. Heart exploding technique. <laughs> Heart yeah. exploding technique. And it's just it's a nice way to finish off that homage to Kung Fu movies. Yeah, I think you know? so. Like uh, you've got here in your facts, and you okay if I read it, where yeah, like, go for that, it. the five point palm exploding heart technique is actually in um other Shaw Brothers films. It's oh yeah, from Shao yeah, yeah. Lin and Clan of the White Lotus. That's right. Which were the inspirations behind this film. Mm. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Like, they still have their fight sequence. She still wants to kill him. Obviously, that made the most sense. Um, <clears throat> they have this, like, really short fight sequence that ends quite quickly, and then she does the technique, and then he's just sort of... I really like the fact that he just kind of, like, accepted that he lost. She's crying when she does it. Like, when she realizes that she's killed him... She, you can kind of feel that conflict in her. Like, she didn't really mm-hmm. want to do it. Yep. And, um, it's like, she says sorry, I think, actually, straight away. Yep. 
Um, and I don't know, this is sort of a, a lot of emotional depth in what's really just sort of a fight scene where she kills the bad guy. Mm. Yeah, that's all. And you know what? It's 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 that whole exposition is probably a fitting into those characters because they. It it shows us that these characters still care about each other. That they're not going to end this in a fist fight. They're going to yeah. end this in some kind of way that is probably less torturous for both of the characters because they're still trying to harness that care and love for each other. And so I, I think they were kind of open having a fist fight if she didn't win so quickly. Oh uh, yeah, they talk. They talk about it. I mean, they they talk about the fist fight, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They talk about um, how like you know he didn't want to do it. He wanted to like sort of like walk on the beach and like yeah. um, win her over a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she's just like not having any of it, right? But yeah, yeah. I, I feel like and, I and so maybe maybe she eventually comes to that conclusion of like, look, maybe I, I don't want to do this first fight. I'm just gonna do the five fingered heart death thing on you, and then that's it. It's a yeah. it's a silent way of killing you. That's probably the most respectful way. It's almost like euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. Like this scene, it was kind of like um, you learn a lot. And having like a big fight sequence after that would have been draining. So mm-hmm. the way that it ended, the way it did, was in my opinion like a perfect call. Um, the fact that like you yeah. know this five finger five point heart technique is called back is really cool. The fact that like she succeeded where he didn't in his world, like yeah. Pai Mei taught her this technique where he didn't. Um, yeah. But it's not like one of those sequences where oh the main character gets lucky. It's like no, she's better at this, and she was better at you than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's it's a good it's a good kind of like full coming full coming, <laughs> um, full circle for the mm-hmm. character herself. You know, she's gone through a lot. She's got this massive arc, which eventually makes more sense by by this film and also by the end of the film, and where we leave her at the end of the film, where she starts a new life with BB. You know the name of her daughter. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's Maybe. a fitting way. Yeah. One thing I kind of found a little bit interesting was that, like, I'm not sure if you want to keep talking about that scene more, but like, there's a scene where you know she takes BB, she leaves, and then they're in like a shitty apartment, and she's just like on the floor in the bathroom crying. Now I don't. She's like crying slash laughing. I don't. What mm. did you take from that scene? Because I didn't. Re- I, either she was like really sad about what she did, or she's really happy that she has her. <clears throat> I, I don't really know. I don't know. That was odd to me as well. Yeah, she's like crying and then she laughs a little bit. This is like in the living room or something, right? Oh, she's in the bathroom. It, the kids in the in the living room watching TV. Oh yeah, sorry, she's in the bathroom. It's black and white as well, isn't it? I don't think so. I thought it was black and white as well. I don't. Know. I don't recall. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just like it just goes to credits after that. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's like the last scene of the film. It's a it's a weird way to end the movie. It's a weird way to end the character too, because it's not what I expect the character to how how the character to behave. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe it's just another layer that we don't know about the character, where she's her way of dealing with it is just by trying to laugh it off a bit while she's crying, crying consistently. Crying what though? Like, yeah. I, think, I think this film is the one where more than- she's she's regretful. I think <sighs> by the end, that's what we're supposed to learn is that she's regretful for the whole thing. Killing <laughs> Bill, right? Killing Bill, yeah. yeah. Which is that unsatis like not unsatisfied, but uneasing feeling. Uh like there's no catharsis for the character, but there's It's catharsis for us the viewer. For, for the viewer, yeah, but not, not for, for the, the character. Because she's conflicted. Yeah. Again, that's why it'd be easy to write her going to live with him. <laughs> could it could be done. They could have done a lot of heavy lifting in the volume one, that's for sure. <laughs> I feel like, uh, uh, yeah, this film more than most, I feel like I don't understand the, um, like, 
the reason why some things are there and, and I'm looking for other people to tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that is the end of the recap, the review and recap for Kill Bill Volume 2. Thank God we have finished with these movies. No. But I'm glad that Volume 2 was much I, I'm glad that 2 was like uh, the way that it was. It really yeah. uh, know, resurrected the franchise mm. for me. It, it did. It did a lot. It, it makes me look at number one in in a new light, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I agree. I would never time, watch one. I'm not going to watch. Well, at the same time, I'm never going to watch volume one. That was hard to watch. That realistically, I'm probably not going to watch a lot of Tarantino movies again after we're done with this. Like, really? I mean, I like him, but Pulp yeah. Fiction is pretty fun to watch. Ah, there's just so much out there. But you know what, though, the thing that think about Tarantino films is like. I, I, I think I would agree with you. I probably wouldn't revisit Tarantino films for a while, mm. but there are scenes that I would happily Oh, yeah, revisit. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'd watch scenes. I would YouTube a lot of the scenes, you know, like the uh, Royale with cheese scene. Like, I, I would revisit that all the time. Oh, yeah. I, 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 That's I such a that. great scene. I love that scene. Um, okay, so out of 10. Did I go first? Did this? Or did you? You want me to go first? Go first, yeah. Okay, yeah, and just to remind you, volume one for you was five out of ten. If that's a five, I reckon like this is like an eight. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, and again, it lifts up one. I think that's a, a really powerful thing. Like I didn't expect this film to do that. But look, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. It created a story that I was craving. Um, the action sequences are fun. Everything's fun. The dialogue is fun. Um, but really, it just it just gave a lot of closure and and reason for why one was the way that it was, and so I think like this movie by itself <clears throat> isn't as good without one either. I, I want to try and make that that point. Like this movie where you're just sort of getting like the story of this woman who goes and kills like two people in a pretty dumb way and then kills a third guy in a pretty dumb way. Like, it wouldn't be that good without number one either. Like, I think they, these movies kind of need each other in a way. Yeah, nice, nice. I think I'll um, continue and be consistent with our scoring here. I was one below your one in the previous one, and I think I'm going to be happily one below your one as well in this one. So I'm going to give this 7 out of 10. Seven. And I think I don't think it deserves so much as an 8 or a 9. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't disagree that it's an 8 out of 10. However, I think... The movie is a tad bit too long. I think it could have. That's short for a Tarantino. What are you talking it about? It is. It is. But like, I think it's a tad bit too long. But probably because I've got a little bit of bad taste from Volume One. That movie being that way too, too long. Like it felt way longer than it should have been because it was just very boring. Wait, by the way, I don't understand the girl who got her arm cut off. She, you never see her again. Like, what's no. the, what's the point of her? It's just another one of those Tarantino isms where there's a bunch of characters that don't don't need to be in it, but it's probably paying paying back somebody or paying oh, homage she's to young someone. As hell. She's young as hell. It's not an homage, or just like paying her back. I don't know. Maybe he, she's like a friend of a friend or whatever. It's Imagine like, hey, can I be in a movie? Or... Like, <laughs> like one person's getting paid back. They're Bill, and one person's getting paid back, and they're like that girl. And you're like, wait, one payback is way better than the other one. <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I'd probably like trim this movie down a little bit, uh, down to maybe two hours instead of like two seventeen. I think two hours would have been a nice run time for this. Um, I probably would have liked to seen a bit more action sequence from 
I don't know, maybe from like between her and uh, what's his name? Michael Madsen's character, Bud. I yep. think I would have liked to seen a bit more like hand to hand stuff between the two of them. Yeah. Um, probably some more questions answered from like about Bud's character. Um, I feel like Bud was in a good spot. Like, uh, considering what everyone else gets, I feel like he was in a reasonably good spot. Yeah. I mean, he was like probably arguably the most developed character in the entire. He, he's the only one that has any depth to his mindset. Everyone else is like, mm. you're a crazy killer. You're a really good killer. You're a yeah. psycho killer. And maybe that's, that's, maybe that choice was because Michael Madsen's a good actor, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and he's the only one that has any sort of regret. He's the only one that like talks about like the philosophy of it all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah exactly. Like he dabbles between what's right and what's wrong, mm. you know, and even though he ends up doing an evil. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's a, he's a selfish guy, right? Yeah, I mean, he, let's be clear, he doesn't kill her. He but... totally kills her. As far as he knows, he kills her. No, remember the agreement that he has with Al is like he's just going to... um, to, Oh, no, 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 he was going to torture and eventually lead to her demise, right? Well, yeah, he wanted her, her to suffer until her last breath. And suffer like, until, yeah, his yeah. idea was a really good one. <laughs> like It was a good one, suffer until his last breath. Until her last breath. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think for that reason... It, it doesn't really deserve an eight or a nine. Definitely not a ten. I think it deserves a seven out of ten. Not a ten, but I'm happy with mm. my eight. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be seven point five out of ten, I'm happy which with is that. a massive improvement from <laughs> volume one. We gave that one a four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. Yeah. Yeah, fair. It's okay. All right, so that wraps it up for Kill Bill Volume One and Two. This one being only two. If you haven't heard our review and recap for volume one please please visit that that's episode 65 the next on the tarantino legacy series we are recording what are we recording what is it <laughs> actually can't remember i think it's actually the one that you don't want to watch <laughs> let's skip it dude let's you know what it. i am away next week you should watch that one and just make sure on my gap. own yeah yeah make sure there's no gap <laughs> Oh, yeah, I see the tactic. Grind here. house or some crap, dude. Just, just I see the. I see what's going on here. I see what's going on. Um, no, so yeah, the the next movie that we'll be doing will be, um, Grindhouse. No, not Grindhouse. Death Proof. Okay, let me see what Death Proof is. Death Proof. Black comedy. You know what? Maybe I don't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it is the sequel to Grindhouse, or it's got something to do with Grindhouse. Not the sequel, but something to do with Grindhouse. Um, but yeah, Death Proof is going to be the next one. And it's after one that, we have... like it's like ridiculously gory. Though. That's the thing that I'm kind of a little bit. Mm. I think so. Yeah. Hey, man, it's got Kurt Russell in it. Surely you want to watch it. That does nothing for me. What are you talking about, <laughs> <laughs> dude? Escape from LA, Escape from New York. Yeah, they're movie. fine. But I didn't watch that going, man, I want to see more Kurt Russell. You know what I mean? Like The uh, funny thing about like Escape from New York and Escape from LA, I think those were the movies of the 80s that tried to be like known for like one of the greats of the 80s, but it wasn't. <laughs> I think people really, like, it's kind of like a cult hero, right? Like people really like it. <sighs> I th- Look, I think it is a cult following, but... When we think about the great movies of the 80s, we don't think about Escape from New York in LA. <laughs> it's so funny, right? Like, you've got, like, 19... The movie came out in 1981, and it's set in a dystopian 1988. They really... Which, which one are you talking about, LA or New York? New York. Uh, but it's just funny. Like, I, you, they kind of thought the wheels were going to fall off in seven years. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I it's like, those movies are kind of like a guilty pleasure for me. Like, I kind of like them. Yeah. I, I won't watch them all the time, but um, yeah, Kurt Russell. Yeah, I guess he's this is this will be the first time he's on a Tarantino film, and then he's also in Hateful Eight. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. If you want to wait, well, that wraps it up. Be another couple of weeks. <laughs> is all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. We'll wait. We'll wait. I might actually do some other reviews in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. Actually, you've only been doing Tarantino, haven't you? You've, you've yeah, let your yeah, yeah. Or modern film. We have to jump onto some other ones. Maybe some other requests in the um, DM sections we'll look into. What, but, you, what, what kind of request you got? What, what, what's your loudest request? Um, well, somebody's asked if we could review and recap um, a movie that hasn't actually come out yet. I think it comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, it's Edward. Oh, what's his name? Not Edward. Oh, a very talented director at the moment, like for his generation. Or for this generation, I, I should Fair say. Long. Um it's what is the movie called i can't think of it right now it's um uh john david washington's new movie really yeah what is it called oh my goodness oh, black Clansman. something no malcolm oh, and Mar- no the creator the creator something city what am i talking about the creator as a future the- war between the human race and artificial intelligence rages on ex-special forces agent joshua he's got a name now is recruited oh. to hunt down and kill the creator. It's literally uh, Terminator. That's cool. It's literally Terminator, except that calling it the creator. But um, yeah, so like the, the trailer looks awesome. Looks yeah. really, really well done. And the director, that guy, I also forget his name. Jeez. Gareth Edwards, that's his name. <laughs> right. Gareth Edwards. He's a, he's a very, very talented director. Directed, in my opinion, the best Star Wars movie, which is Rogue One. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I, I think that's not a, a controversial statement. I mean, it's a controversial statement in the face of like hardcore fanboys, you know. Yeah, I don't but, but 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 if you talk to <laughs> this is going to sound really wanky, but I'm just going to say it anyway, if you talk to film people, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if they would agree with that. To be honest, if, but, you, if you talk about people who know what they're talking about, then yeah. If you talk to us experts on the Legit Cool podcast, then oh, yeah. you would probably get a different opinion. But yeah, like uh, it's 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 controversial in the face of like a lot of those hardcore fanboys. But those hardcore fanboys do rate Rogue One as one of the best in the whole Star Wars. Yeah, they, they can't um, not like it. Like I, I want to say this, and I think it's gonna like sort of whatever. Um, a New Hope is like uh, it's it's just a, it's just an adventure romp. In space, that's not to say an adventure romp is a bad thing. But a new, a new hope, a new hope is not really considered as the number one film in the Star no, Wars romps, though. Like, like the, the, you look at. I the, think Empire Strikes Strikes Back is pretty good. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to say a romp is bad, right? Like, it, like mm. Indiana Jones and 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 Star Wars to me are pretty similar in that, like, you got this plucky guy, and then you got like a lovable rogue, and they go on an adventure, and they've got like star wipes. It's, it's just it's it's a film, and it's a good film. Mm-hmm. To say yeah. it's like the one of the greatest of all time, I don't really get that at all. I think it's it's very much a like it, it's it's a massive cult following, which yeah. kind of defeat it's a, kind of defeats the purpose of the definition cult. <laughs> but but it's a uh, it's just. A space opera that people love they they're, they're endearing characters they're easy to get along with you know they're easy to connect yeah, for with. sure like that's the um thing and, I like 
And it's just all the dressing around it that kind of makes it exciting for people. You know, the fact that you can have characters that you really emotionally connect with that are based in space somewhere. Mm. It's fun. It's it's a fun concept for people. Yeah. It's, uh, they're not very complex stories. No way. Like, they're yeah, very exactly. I would never say it's a understand. bad film at all. Like, it's a very good film. It's a fun film to watch. Mm. But, like, um, to say it's any different to, like, Indiana Jones or yeah. another rompy film. Like, you know, like. No, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like it's kind of it's fun Star, Troopers. <laughs> Star Troopers. Star Troopers. I guess. <laughs> but like any film where you have like a hero going yeah. on an adventure with a bit of comedy elements in there, like it's like a it's like a Marvel film of nineteen seventy. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's why, like the what appeals to mass audiences are simple stories that are digestible within an instant. Characters that yeah, are if, lovable and likable, and people sort of rate those and define those as the greatest movies of all time and there is anyone ever suggested that like a marvel film is the greatest film of all time people lose their minds right like yeah but and and the thing is like if i if i said to because because i love all these movies i love star wars i love all the marvel films i love all the dc stuff i love all the comic book you know that genre of films i love it Mm. I, i i eat up that entertainment any day of the week like any other fan however if i said to them dude the prestige is a film that is a thousand times better written compared to like Star Wars. True statement, like that. Way, yeah. Right? It's a true statement. It's a true statement for like any of us that would have any sensibility of like enjoying script in a, in a story in a film. Yeah. A Star Wars person will be like, what do you mean? No, no way. That's the, it's like, it's- like, they have to understand that there are two differences here, right? Yeah. And the difference is that storytelling aspect of prestige is a, intelligent level that is nowhere near star wars and i don't think star wars is trying to be that no, but i'm just trying to say that you and failing no for sure yeah yeah but star wars has an easy concept that is easy to execute whereas prestige has a very difficult concept to execute to be fascinating like how how yeah. hard like that is so hard if you if you were to say hey what is can you make an entertaining and like thrilling story about two magicians that hate each other and like, how do you how do you make that entertaining? <laughs> and I feel like people might say, "Oh, well, you know what? Difficulty of attempt doesn't really lead to like a better outcome." True, In particular case True. it does. Like, True, yeah, but like, like it's, this this is kind of the point of the matter is that like you take you take a very very difficult concept and you make that engaging and interesting. That's that difficulty level would induce or not induce, but maybe like provide us with a sense of entertainment that we were never expecting from the beginning. And if that is an entertainment and movie at its highest, then I don't know what is. I want to pick that up from a different lens because like, I don't want to get to a situation where we're saying, oh, this was harder and thus it is better because that's, like, while that may have some truth to it, that's not actually why I like the prestige more. Like, it is a more complex story, not because it's a harder thing to do. It's just more things, more twists happen, more interesting reveals occur, and mm-hmm. there are, like, five reveals and all of them are fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Star Wars has one reveal across three movies, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you know, whatever. Like, it's just a much more simplistic film. And that's, that's, that's okay. It's okay. But yeah, um, you can, any, anybody can enjoy them. I, mean, I, I enjoy those movies just as much as, like, exactly. the other fans they're do. fun. Like, they're, again, yeah. they're romps. I enjoy a romp. I love a good romp. Um, but I just don't understand why, like, they're kind of seen as, like, the Beatles of the movie world. Yeah, I wouldn't agree that Star Wars is one of the greatest movies ever made. But, um, as much as I love them, like, I don't know. I mean, I think if you talk like any other director, um, if you listen to like some of the greatest directors out there, they wouldn't, like, 
I'm pretty sure I've seen a lot of those interviews where they get asked, like, what is the best movie ever made? Like, Scorsese would probably say something along the lines of, I don't know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or something. <laughs> He'd probably say something like that. Um, yeah. Or, like, I don't know, Tarantino will probably say um, Taxi Driver from Martin Scorsese. I don't know. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's right. like they talk about movies that have very, very simple ideas but they break them down into complexities that you just don't expect and you're surprised by the end of it because you go on this character journey that you just never saw coming whereas you can kind of predict what a what a um protagonist is going to go through in like a star wars romp film or or like terminator film you can predict where the character is going to end up those movies are like it's it's about the the story about like the sequence of events rather than the character and it seems like Mm -hmm. we seem like taxi driver character driven like crazy right Mm -hmm. prestige character driven pretty badly like Mm. i guess in a good way um but yeah so yeah we can go on and on about like dice yeah. and there, but I apologize let's... for the minutes we chucked on the end of this. Let's uh, bring this to an end, and um, we will see you again in a couple of weeks, Tony. And to the listener, thank you for chiming in on the Jiggle Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. Um, bye for now. Do-do-do-do.